Simon Bywater, I'm the father of Kieran Bywater. So explain to me just how you sort of had this interest to actually look into the mental health aspect to players because you've got your own story to why you sort of had that invested interest I suppose. Yeah I think um, my own story about Kieran is well documented in Michael Calvin's book and in the documentary but um, having seen him as go through the academy system and, and, and looking to achieve really well in sport to suddenly being told overnight that his career at a Premier League football club had finished it was a massive shock to him uh, the, the issues that he suffered were that he'd spent a decade being told how good he was and how well he was performing and to suddenly be faced with the reality that you no longer wanted it was really difficult for him and us as a family uh, he lived a long way away from us so we felt um, from the age of 13 that the club took control of him almost and uh, he found it really difficult moving back with his mum and dad after spending so long away from from being with us really uh, and he suffered from it you know his friendship groups disappeared overnight he lost his own identity um, you know he'd be, always been known as Kieran Bywater the football player who played at West Ham and then suddenly he was at home living with his parents again suddenly not being able to get a club because of all the the issues with contracts and people play, paying for young players for, have been at Cat One clubs, so it's really difficult for him and us as a family. So I wrote an honest article about our own, my own feelings and about what we saw uh, were the wrongs in football, and I was absolutely astounded by the amount of response I got from people up and down the country, and that's not just players, that's from parents of past and present of, of young players who are now grown men who are their own family that are describing the way they were treated when their careers had come to a, an end, whether that be at 16, 14, 18 or 20, really. And Kieran's obviously a story that was a really bad case, of where he was just sort of thrown onto the ground as such, from a high point as such. And then he's had to turn that around, and obviously now in America, it shows that there can be sort of a positive light eventually, but it takes a bit of time. Yeah, um, without wanting to blow our own trumpet and the help of Pete Lowe, um, Kieran had a good support network around him um, we were keen for him to to do something different have a plan b which is an education uh, and, and we saw uh, with the opportunities he was offered in america that that would be the best route for him um, you, you know he had to come to terms with you know his dream disappearing of playing in the uk and, uh, but that was just something that, that that he had to face and with us and the support that he got from the university over there from the you know from the friends he's made he, he's really enjoying his life and that's the most important thing for us. However, Kieran was fortunate. There are lots and lots of boys up and down the country who haven't got that sport network. You know, they come from single-parent families. Their social, um, their social backgrounds are perhaps not as fortunate as Kieran's. Uh, uh, and that became glaringly obvious to me when, when people started contacting me and telling me their stories. Some clubs do have better support networks than others, but sort of, do you feel a lot more could be done? to sort of help them whether that's sort of preparing them better for it if they are going to release or even just telling them what could they do basically because some of them come out and they don't know anything other than football that's absolutely right and I think it's a to use the old pun a postcode lottery I think it's very much so to do with football clubs you know there are there is and are good practice taking place around the country but there's also some poor practice and it is a lottery. It's down to coaching and academies and their perceptions on what the child, because they are children at the end of the day, some of these people, um, what they perceive to be good practice and bad practice. You know, there's no independent body to advise parents from from contract negotiations from 
signing their schoolboy forms to all the way through to scholarships to pro contracts how to deal with agents there's no independent advice for people and that's one of the things that we found difficult was uh, who do you turn to you know you, you you turn to a football club they've got an agenda because you know that's that's what they're in the game for you you have agents circling around training grounds like like sharks really um who 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 will claim to give good advice but it's not independent advice because they've got a financial motive to to get your design or to to to, to go with them so i think that there's a real need and hopefully, you know, we're, we're taking proposals to the Football Association. We've spoken to government and Damien Collins to, to look at this. And everybody recognises there is a need for it. It's just a case of pushing that forward and, uh, and getting change in the game. What sort of stories have you heard? Like, obviously, they're wide ranging. Some people come and have a story that's a positive one, but they're a bit lost. Or there will be ones where people just feel the struggle and feel like they can't go and have a, a normal life as such. They can't go to what they want to do because all they've wanted to do they've known is that footballing story. The actual stories that we've had and heard and, and spoken to and, and help people deal with are very from the very simple things of you know what what club to sign for, you know, what should I look in a club and what are the commitments I need to make to, you know, serious allegations of medical negligence and bullying, you know, so that the spectrum is huge. Um, there are there are boys that just need a little bit of advice other than their parents. Um, the 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 uh, the remit of of um, young players, uh, what they need and what they require, can be totally different. I mean, some live right next door to their club, so they don't have to worry about travel and accommodation. Others have to worry about travel, how far they travel, the commitment to training, the knock-on effects for other children in the family really because it's a huge commitment and understanding those commitments really. The FA have got their time to change scheme that's about 10 years old now which was set out originally to sort of cut the shame of supposedly having a mental health problem and there's been research by a lady called Andrew Scott Bell who said that mental health doesn't discriminate against anyone whether you're fit and healthy or whatever. What would you sort of say to that in terms of that's obviously right isn't it that it doesn't discriminate against anybody? It doesn't, you know. Mental health is is a huge problem around the country. Whether that be in professional sport, whether that be servicemen or people in the emergency services, it affects people to a greater or lesser degree. Um, what what is not consistent is the way that we look after people and we treat it. You know, it's okay, it's okay um, managing the symptoms, but we need to do before that. You know, we need to look at you know how people can reach out and understand what what are the issues, so we can advise them and. You know what we're proposing is a is a mentoring welfare type service where people can reach out to people and have a conversation, an honest conversation, where somebody hasn't got a hindered agenda or that the parent can't speak out or challenge a club for fear that, that that they might not get selected in the team the following week or upsetting a coach and hindering their progress really because that's what it's like at the moment and we need to get past that really. And then having spoke to Pete, he discussed sort of the owners can form the club as well to sort of build them up to release rather than like the Kieran's case where they've just sort of dumped him. Can that help? Because it's a pivotal time period of that sort of time between say 16 or 2021, that time period you're still developing as a person. So just sort of mentoring them about what could happen rather than giving false pretenses, massive help. Oh yeah, I think so. You know, young people were all different at 16, 17. I look back at what I was like. I mean, I left home at 16, joined the military uh, and grew up very quickly. But, you know, everybody needs support in different ways. And 
I think mentoring's key. You know, I, I think it it helps them understand themselves. It helps them understand the challenges. You know, Mike Calvin described the numbers that actually make it in the professional game, and the, and it's a huge number of people that fall by the wayside and we've got to start thinking about those people really because I do worry about the future I do worry about some of these boys who are sitting in hotel rooms or bed sits uh, and being told this bad news uh, and not being able to cope with it so it, it, it is a challenge but I think with the right support network around young players but ultimately their parents as well because their parents are on a learning curve I found that you know I didn't know everything about the professional game and and, and there was nobody for me to ask so I think it's also about educating the parents and, and managing the parent expectations as well because it is well documented that some people see it as a golden mill ticket and the reality is you're not going to get that golden mill ticket. You know, The reality is that your son will probably drop into the lower leagues and have to find a, a source of income and employment somewhere else outside the game. And, and how, just describe to you sort of how can it feel for a footballer when they're released? Obviously, the, the je- dejection early on, and then sort of loneliness as well, because you've normally got that team sort of camaraderie around you, but then that's gone. Yeah, I mean, if I use Kieran's case, he was a massive team player. He loved being part of the team. He loved being part of uh, the team game, being around people. Uh, when he was told, um, when he wasn't expecting it, having had all the signals that he was going to get a new contract, to suddenly be told you no longer wanted uh, was a massive psychological blow to him because he'd lost most of his friendship group at school because he was going to London living in London his friendship group was around the football club and and it was just poor poor practice on the way he was treated there was no thoughts about his his well-being there was no follow-up calls there was absolutely nothing for him uh, and we had to go cap in hand to the PFA to get him some counselling sessions which in the scheme of it, it doesn't sound a lot, but actually for a young boy who needs help, um, it was crucial. And, and it proved to be the case because it was, he was able to, on the back of that, able to work out what he wanted in, in life, what he, which direction he wanted to go. And he um, was able to work it out himself, which is most important really, because we can, we can all give advice, but ultimately these young people have to make the decisions themselves as well going forward. The PFA only set up their counselling and their mental health welfare stuff in 2012. Was that perhaps too little too late as well? Because in the last statistic that I read was 2016, that was 160 footballers come forward to speak to a counsellor about mental health problems. Before that, so many could have slipped through the net as well. Oh, I, th- I think it's well documented. I mean, I read an article recently that, to, that there's been an increase in about 200% in the number of people, ex-players, who are seeking uh, mental health uh, assistance uh, through counselling and whatever. So, yeah, it's, it's always too little, too late in these things. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to dwell on the negative stuff, you know. You, we can't wind the clock back. We can't change anything that's happened in the past. What we can do, though, is be effective in the way that we change things in the future the way that we support young players advise parents we support young players and senior players and also grassroots game as well let's not forget that because that's a huge part of the country about how we support these people going forward and just making the game generally better and have that feel-good factor where where it isn't seen as you, you know you're, you're being weak or or you're not strong enough or determined enough because you reach out for some assistance because I, I think we're well past that now and I think we, we, need to, we need to bring about change in the game really. And then obviously the players trust are going to the FA with their plan of action to sort of put this in place. How important a step 
is that that the FA come into the table and go right let's let's try and do something about it as such I, I think it's really important you know look we've we've met Martin Glenn once from the FA um, we're due to meet him again this week um, I think he realizes that I, I understand that we've got to we've got to have a good proposal which is what we've put forward I, I do hope because it's recognized within government you know Damien Collins has recognized it Tanya Gray Thompson she's recognized that sport needs an independent organization and I do hope that you know the governing bodies, uh, the Premier League, uh, government will all will all um, help support us financially because that's crucially what we need. We need financial assistance to help this work nationally. Um, and I hope that, that they'll see that. Um, the feedback we've had so far has all been very positive. So um, you know, time will be the judge on that, really.